Wow. Man, don't you just love that verse in there? From life's first breath to that final one. He commands our destiny. He is in control. God is. And I just love that part. Man, it fires me up. It fires me up. Listen, hope you're excited about today and our message of faith. And I'm going to be uh, giving you a message today that's entitled, Faith That Amazed Jesus. Faith That Amazed Jesus. And so if you uh, take your Bibles or your phones and turn to Luke chapter 7. And that's where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 7. Faith That Amazed Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. What amazes you? The word amazed is from the word marvel. Uh, it said Jesus was marveled by this person's faith, but it's to be astonished. It's to be in wonder. And so these are some of the words we're looking at, but what amazes you? You know, I know there's a lot of people that have been amazed by Jesus and what Jesus does. But you know what catches my attention? Is that there are, there are only two times in the Bible when it comes in regard to faith that Jesus was amazed. And so with that being the case, it gets my ear. It gets my spiritual ears in tune to what, what is it then? What really amazes Jesus? In one instance, it was in Mark chapter 6. You don't have to go there. But in Mark 6, 6, Jesus was amazed by people's unbelief. And in fact, he was uh, ministering there in his hometown. And he said, a prophet's not without honor except in his own country. And then it said, he did not do many miracles, only a few. A few laying on of hands and healing people. But it went to say that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. That's one of them, was Jesus marveled at the unbelief. But the one that we're going to look at today is this one. Jesus was amazed by someone's faith. He said that never had he seen such great faith, not even in all of Israel. So let me ask you this. What kind of person do you think amazed Jesus? What kind of person? Man, I want to know who is this person that amazed Jesus? And you would think, Perhaps it was one of the Pharisees. Or perhaps it was one of the religious rulers, one of the rabbis. Perhaps it was one of the scholars, someone that was very knowledgeable of the word. Perhaps it was one of the disciples that might have amazed Jesus. But no, in this instance, <laughs> what it is, is a person that's not even named in the Bible. We only know him as a centurion, a Roman centurion. And so if you pick up in the story in Luke chapter 7, it says, when Jesus had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And what this is referring to in that verse 1 is that Jesus was on, had just finished up one of the most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. And as he gave that sermon, he was coming off that, that mountainside there, and he came into Capernaum. And notice it says a crowd was following him. And then it says in verse 2, And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. Now what do we know about this centurion? A Roman centurion we know is this, was, was a Greek. He was, I mean, a Gentile. He was, he was a person that was not a Jew. We know that for a fact. And 
He was a person that was in charge of about a hundred men. It's what he had under his command. That's why the phrase centurion, the word century, which means a hundred, uh, we get that from that. But this Roman soldier was in charge of about a hundred men. Now he wasn't, the Roman soldier that was over this, they were put in charge because they were given districts. And he was under this ruler, uh, evil ruler that was saying, you are in charge of this district over here in Capernaum. And they did, they basically did two things. They had those soldiers there for Rome to keep the peace among the people. And then they were also there to collect the taxes among the people, to keep peace and order and to get the money from them. So you can only imagine how popular a Roman centurion could have been in that time, okay? So you're, uh, you're there to take, get, to gather up our taxes, and so we know tax season is coming. Some of y'all already preparing for that, aren't you? And you really look forward to April 15th. You really do. You're excited about that day. I know. <laughs> but anyway, the Roman centurion was a man's man. He, was, he had worked his way up through the ranks, and he was in command of a hundred. Well, what's also notice about this Roman centurion is that he had this slave. Uh, it was a servant boy. It was a young boy. And what happened was these young servants, slaves, were actually trained up to watch and, and to come alongside of this great Roman centurion, to watch them, to learn from them. In fact, he was discipling him. But this centurion cared about this young slave boy. He cared about him deeply and to the extent that it said he had highly regarded him. And we know this about the young boy. He was sick and about to die. And then pick up here in verse 3. It says this. It says, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. So here we see something else. We see that this centurion, he'd heard about who this Jesus was. He heard about the miracles that perhaps Jesus had done. The word had gone out in the region. And so he, he, he didn't even go himself. He sent people, Jewish elders, to represent him. Now, isn't this kind of odd that a Roman soldier would send Jewish elders to Jesus. But that's what he did. And you know, this, this doesn't just happen every day, but here's what the Jewish elders did. They went to Jesus, and they said to him, We came to Jesus. They earnestly implored, implored Jesus, saying, verse 4, He is worthy for you to grant this to him. He's worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Wow. So we're learning some more stuff about this Roman centurion. The Jewish, I don't know how special this guy was, but he's pretty special, all right? He was so special that they were sitting there going, you know what? He's worthy. He's worthy, Jesus, for you to do this miracle for him. He's come asking for this, this servant, son, this boy to be healed. And they're saying, hey, Jesus, he's the real deal. He's worthy for you to do this for him. 
And then they go on to give the explanation why, why on their behalf. They said two things. Number one, he loves our nation. He loves our people. And then also they said, and hey, by the way, he helped build the synagogue here in the town. Now, think about that. A Roman centurion helped build a Jewish synagogue here in this area. Isn't that pretty amazing to think about him? And that's, that's why these Jewish elders thought so highly of him and said he's worthy because he loves us and he loves us so much that he's built our synagogue for us. It's pretty amazing even up to this point. But notice that the story continues. And it says, Now Jesus started on his way with them, with the Jewish elders, and he was going to go and heal the boy. And it says, And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. And now when Jesus heard this, he marveled. He was amazed at him. And he turned and he said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. The faith that amazed Jesus was found in a Gentile Roman centurion soldier. Wow. So much to the extent... Jesus turned to the crowd and says, listen, I would have expected this kind of faith to have come from a Jew. But it did not. It came from a Gentile. And in fact, he, in Matthew, he goes on to say that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the descendants, the Abraham, father of faith, and all that, he said many Gentiles are going to come and sit and feast at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And listen, folks. If, if you're a Gentile in this room and you're not a Jew, as far as biologically, you can rejoice at that statement. I can. You know what? I know I'm a Jew uh, inwardly because I have been adopted into the family of God, but I was born as a, as a Gentile. I was born in that. But here is a model saying to us the greatest faith that Jesus ever marveled at, there was two of them. The one was unbelief. And the other was the belief and the faith of a Roman soldier. Now I'm going to give you these four points that come out of this text to me. Faith that amazes Jesus is first. is the kind of faith that recognizes who Jesus is. It's the, it says when he heard about Jesus, he knew about Jesus, and he even called Jesus Lord. He knew and he recognized who Jesus is, that Jesus is God. He'd heard all about him. He wanted to know. Uh, he wanted to have him there. And that's the kind of faith. You've got to have your faith not in man, my friends. Our faith has to rest in God alone. And that's what this Roman centurion understood and he knew. He recognized who Jesus is. And not only that is this one. He submitted to Jesus' authority. He, he said to him, Sir, I know that you are a man of authority. I'm one too. 
I say to this slave, go, and he goes. I say to this soldier, do this, he does it. And because I am a person under authority, I recognize your authority. And he's, he's going, Lord, I know that you have all authority. I know that you have, I recognize who you are and that you have the power. And then he says this, you just say the word and it'll be done. You don't even have to come into my house. You just say the word. My faith, his faith was so great that that's what he said to him. You just say the word, it's done. Wow. Is this amazing to you or what? I mean, the more I pondered this text this week, the more I've been amazed at it. But that's coming from a Roman centurion soldier. You just say the word. So he recognized and he submits to the authority of God. And then notice this. He demonstrates, he shows humility by asking. He asked humbly. He even pointed out, he said, I'm not even worthy to even come to you. And so he got the Jewish elders to go on his behalf. And then when they were getting close to his home, he sent some friends out to stop him and say, listen, I'm not even worthy for you to come under the roof of my house. Now, j just a few verses before that, we had the Jewish elders saying to Jesus, he's worthy. He's worthy for you to do this because he loves our nation and he, he built our synagogue. And then you've got the man saying himself, Lord, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. That's humility. He humbled himself. But notice this. He also asked. He, he didn't. He asked for Jesus to heal the servant, the young boy. You know, Angie and I were talking about this this morning. And doesn't the Bible tell us that we have not because we ask not? But then it goes on to say, but a lot of times we ask with the wrong motive so that it might be spent upon our own pleasures. That's what it says in the Bible. You have not because you ask not, but sometimes you ask with the wrong intentions, the wrong motives. But you know, here you got a Roman centurion who obviously loved his servant. He even loved these Jewish people. He built a synagogue for them. But he is also showing a love here in an amazing way by, by being willing to ask, not on his behalf, but he asked on behalf of this slave who was a young boy. Angie and I were talking about it, and we said our kids are, you know, we've raised them up, and, you know, I, I, I always get to see the stages where people are in life. You go, you get married, and you're in that stage, and you're, you go to have children, and then you have children, and those children grow up, and then they get to that stage where they get to leave to go to school, and that's a big transition stage. And then you get to that stage where now they're going into middle school, and you go, I can't believe those years go by. Then you get to that stage, and they're in high school, and then you go from that high school stage to now they've left the house, and they're in college. And some of you go, whoo-wee. Or you go, oh, me. 
And you know, you're going through those stages, and then they go through that stage, they get married, and then they go on and have their families. And the cycle continues. But it amazes me as, as we see the stages in our life, and our kids are in that stage. And now I know when I used to watch the football games in college, and they all would hold up, Mom and Dad, send money. Now I know what that means. Because a lot of them don't have money. And they need money. And they're always wanting money. And here's the deal. Is that a way, the proper way to do it would be, if I were to see my son on TV at a Georgia, or my daughter at a Georgia game, holding up a sign, Dad, I need money. Would that, I don't know if that would be the right way for her to communicate to me. What would I really want my daughter to do? Pick up the phone, or they text, texting about the same. I don't do Instagram or any of that other stuff, but, or Snapchat or any of that. I, I, I do get on Facebook just to tell you happy birthday and maybe send something every once in a while, but call me or text me and let me know what you need. I do prefer to talk because I can find out a little bit more through talking. But if she were to say, Dad, I need this amount of money for this, what do you think as a daddy I'm going to do? I'm going to do my best to make sure that that need is met in her life. And I'll do whatever it can. I might even do over and above what she even asked for me to do. Why do I do that? Because she's coming to me. She's humbling herself. She's asking. She's, it's a need. It's not a want. It's a need. And God, as, as a father, I'm going to step in and try to meet that need the best I can. Okay? How often do we not ask our father by faith in things that we truly need. You know, it's so easy to worry about things, isn't it? You know, worry, where faith begins, worry ends. That's something worth writing down. Where faith begins, worry ends. But when worry begins, faith ends. So it works both ways. And you know, a lot of times we worry about something or we worry about this and we worry about that. This, this Roman centurion could have worried about a lot of things, but what did he do? He simply asked. And then he said, you just speak the word. You just speak the word and it's done. Now, whew, that amazed Jesus. And then the final thing that I've got here is that he trusted him for the outcome. The faith that amazed Jesus trusts Jesus. I mean, trust Jesus for the outcome, the results. He, he believed it. He believed it was going to happen. You know, how many times have you prayed about something you didn't believe was going to happen? You didn't have the faith. Or you was hoping it was going to happen. But he, he believed it. He even believed it in such a way by saying, just say the word and it's going to be done. This week I've been digging into the uh, biography, autobiography of a guy named George Mueller who was a man of God and uh, born in the early 1800s, lived through all the 1800s, 
But this was a, a man of God that had great faith. But he, will t he would tell you today that his whole life was not built on looking at him and saying, oh, you have the gift of faith. He would say, oh, no, I've got faith just like you. But I have a big God who I believe for anything that he can do. And here's what George Mueller did in his life. He, he was a person who, who never asked another individual for anything. He only asked God. And God would supply the need. Do you know he, he did, he's known for the orphanage that he built. He ended up, uh, by faith, they acquired property. They built five big homes. You can look it up. They built five homes. Each one of them could hold 400 orphans in it. At, at, at the end of the time, he had 2,000 orphans on campus. And by faith, their needs were being met. And he never asked any person to send money. Their needs were always met. In fact, in the first home that he built, he had 300 kids. They had gotten up, all these orphans. They'd gotten up, they had gotten ready. And the, the lady came to Mr. Mueller and he said, the kids are ready for breakfast, but there is no food. He said, have them gather in the dining room. And they all went to the dining room. And then he, he, he stood in their midst and he prayed and thanked God for the food that they were about to receive. And he waited. We just sang the song, I will wait for you. And you know, you know what happened? It wasn't long after he prayed and all those kids were just sitting around there. They're hungry. Can you imagine having 300 hungry kids, and, you know, at breakfast? You got one or two that you try to take care of, but 300 orphans ready to eat. And so here comes in a man who's a baker in the community, and he said, Mr. Mueller, I could not sleep at all last night. And it was burning within me that I needed to get up and I needed to bake bread. And I, he, break, he baked so much bread that he, sa he said, do you have a need? And he just brought it in. He brought all the bread that he had baked through the night. And the bread was there before the kids. And then shortly right after that, there was a knock at the door. And the milkman, they, the milkman used to travel in the old carts and they had the, the cans of milk. Well, the milkman's cart had broken down just outside of the home. And the milkman came in and said, Sir, Mr. Mueller, I, my cart's broken down. I have eight containers of milk that's going to spoil. Do you have a need for milk? And he smiled. And he said, Sure. And they all, they brought the milk in. Every kid ate the breakfast of bread and milk that day. That's how George Mueller lived his life, was a life of faith like that, trusting God. And you know, the more I studied him, the more I looked at him, and I was reminded, that kind of faith amazes me. It really does. It amazes me. But you know what? The kind of faith that amazed Jesus was coming from a Roman centurion 
who said, I believe in you so much, you just say the word, and it'll be done for my servant. And then it says, they walk back, verse 10, when, they, when those who had, had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. He was, he was healed. He was well. And the prayers were answered. I want to ask you a question, and it, it hits me, and I close with this. And I asked this question to myself. Is Jesus amazed by my faith? Is Jesus amazed by my faith? That's what I want you to ask yourself this morning. Is Jesus amazed by my faith? We know that the only time regarding faith that he was amazed in all the Bible was this story. But then I've, I've, I've had the tendency to think, yeah, he would probably be amazed at my unbelief more than my belief. He'd probably be amazed going, Mike, don't you understand who I am? Don't you recognize my authority? Would you not just humble yourself and ask me and just trust for the results? That's the kind of lesson I believe God is wanting to speak to us today. We say, Lord, we have faith, but increase our faith. But listen, I want us to be a people of God that have the word of God, and we trust the word of God because that's what our faith is in. Do you know, check this out, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this, faith comes by hearing, and hearing from the word of God. If you don't have faith, go to the word of God. The word of God is what we get our faith from. And when God says something, you can do what? You can count on it. When God has promised something, you can take that promise to the bank, my friend. I was, I was uh, thinking about it this morning. You, you know the Bible says in James, pure and undefiled religion is what? To take care of widows and of orphans and to leave oneself and to live in an unspotted way in this world, a holy life. George Mueller knew he was doing something that was in God's will because he was taking care of the orphans. And he knew it wasn't his responsibility to get the bread and the milk. It was his responsibility to ask his father to take care of the need and God would take care of the need. Whew. George Mueller said this, if the Lord fails me at this time, it will be the first time. <laughs> Did you hear that statement about faith? He said, if the Lord fails me at this time, it'll be the first time. Because his faith was so great, and he believed in God so much that he trusted him for every provision along the way. Five homes got built. Land got done. Not one ounce of debt did they ever incur. And they say in today's terms over eight million dollars was raised by this man and at that point in history probably more than anybody and I go that amazes me what great faith but the faith that amazes Jesus comes out of the story right here I want Jesus to look around at some of us in this room and perhaps you and, and think of you would he look at you and go I'm amazed by your faith or would he go I'm amazed that you don't believe me. That's the question we have to ask ourselves today. 
How big is your God? How great is your God? And you can take it to the bank when it's faith based on his word. It comes from hearing in the word of God. George Mueller gave three reasons why he did the orphanages. Number one was that God would be glorified and so that uh, every person that witnessed how God provided for the children would have their faith encouraged because God did it. That was his number one reason. His number two was for the spiritual welfare of all those thousands of orphans. He did it for their spiritual welfare. And then number three, which was last, was to meet their physical needs. Most people do it backwards. Most people do things just to take care of the kids. But he had his priorities in order. God, you be glorified. May people's faith be increased just because of what you're doing in this work. And I, I bring that to us as a church, and I pray that for us as church, is that, God, you may be glorified. May whatever happens through property, through provisions, or through anything, you, God, would be glorified. That is the number one reason. And then number two, may many men and women, boys and girls, come to know you, Jesus, through the ministry of this church. That's the main thing, the spiritual need there. But for God to be glorified, for many lives to be touched and changed through that ministry, and then for him to continue to pass it on down to future generations. Listen, y'all, that is great faith. So, where's your faith? It all depends on who you're asking. I'm asking. I'm asking. And Lord, I, 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 just pray with me. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray right now.